Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Atif's podcast. My name is Atif Anpuri, um, and I'm delighted to introduce you to a new segment of solo podcasts. On this week, uh, we're talking about euthanasia, uh, the ethical questions behind it, and how the world has dealt with such a difficult concept. Since this is the debut of my my podcast um, and this segment of podcasts. I would like you to enjoy my rookie intro that I made specifically for this genre of podcasts. Right, so first things first, we need to understand or rather know what euthanasia means and um, you know how we look at it. For the most part, euthanasia is a topic that is well known and over the last 10 maybe 20 years is something that's well spoken about a lot of people are aware of it but you know i'll touch on it and just revisit what it means um a you know a dictionary or a basic loose definition would find euthanasia to be the ending of the life of a patient to limit the patient's suffering and that's it that would be a very loose basic definition of what it is. Uh, however, you know, the interpretation or rather to say um, what it means differs very differently from one jurisdiction to another. Uh, each country criminalizes it or rather defends it differently to one another. Um, if we are to go to the US, certain states will differ in the way in which they define it from one another. So it's hard for us to, you know, point out and say, look, this is wrong and this is right and this is what it is and this is what it's not. Um, before we move on to really discuss um, what euthanasia is and its types and, you know, its ethical questions, we need to understand how its um, exercises would look at it ethically. Uh, and what I mean by that is the physicians or the medical officers. Um, the reason I say this is because a lot of the time euthanasia is even considered an option, um, a moral option or as I would um, coin it to be uh, a feasible option would be when it comes to patients who are having um, you know, critical or terminal illnesses that you know, it, it proves that going ahead with life would give them a much worse living condition. Um, the quality of life would be poor and the quality of life would not be as prolonged as, you know, the normal um, and average uh, life expectancy would be. So that's where I would see uh, it to be. And a doctor is often tasked with going ahead with this, you know, very difficult decision uh, to make it or not. And um, whether you know this or not, it is illegal in many countries to to really um, do certain actions that would purposefully end in the um, uh, early expiration of a person, right? Um, so where do we draw a doctor's ethical limits and where does a doctor make that distinguishment? Um, we can, you know, to you know, pinpoint and find this, or rather to get their understanding, we can look at the um, the four principles or the four medical ethical principles that most doctors learn and have this as part of either the MD or MBBS, which they consider and they make part of their medical practice throughout their practice. Um, so the four would be beneficence, uh, non-maleficence, uh, autonomy and justice. 
um, so we ask the question, right? And, you know, we go ahead and we say, look, why do doctors need to follow ethics? Well, fundamentally, we understand that the role of a doctor or a medical practitioner is to be involved with patients and to act in a sort of manner that's acceptable, right? And uh, having ethical guidelines or rather having law laws and guidelines that are based on principles of ethics allows them to act in a certain way that's acceptable by all. That's how I see it to be. And um, so first we need to understand what, you know, is considered to be ethical and, and what we mean by ethics, right? So a broad definition would tell you that ethics is the study of morals and morals are essentially the standard or the benchmark of behaviors, you know, what we accept and what we don't, um, the rights from the wrongs. So that is what we would define loosely as uh, morals. Obviously, you're going to find different definitions and interpretations and whatnot, but here's my take on it. Um, in the study of ethics, there are things that we call moral norms, um, the traditionally accepted moral values, um, like, you know, for instance, to not kill a person, that would be a very good moral norm, um, to not harm, to not steal, you know, those sorts of things are generally accepted, you know, through uh, its existence in, in history and in cultures and whatnot, right? Uh, from that point onwards, we go on to understand that there are certain uh, particular moral norms that are applicable to certain sets of people. For instance, clergymen would have the moral norm of not abusing the power that they have, the popularity they have. That would be something that is a moral norm for them. And like that, a doctor would have the moral norm to be, com to be competent and to provide uh, service to patients in a manner where they're trustworthy those two would be moral norms that they would have to follow specific to their profession right um so uh, how we see it for doctors is and because there are multiple norms and we understand that a medical profession is meticulous and each action has the potential of ending up either good or bad so due to that reason a lot of these are codified through law through legislation or guidelines or something and often we see this dilemma where doctors are unable to, you know, uh, fulfill the needs or rather fulfill the potential that's available in these, um, you know, norms that they are supposed to practice because it doesn't uh, tally along with these ethical principles and guidelines. So that is essentially the dilemma that they face and that is more or less, um, you know, uh, what we'll be discussing here as well. Uh, now that we have a decent understanding about why they need ethics and why they follow these morals, I think it's uh, crucial that we go through their medical principles to understand how they operate, why they operate the way they do, right? So the first um, medical principle that I mentioned was beneficence. And uh, this is the obligation of a physician to act for the benefit of their patient. Um, you know, maybe preventing harm, or preventing the death, these are moral principles or rather principles or ethical principles that they need to follow. This is to not be confused with non-maleficence, which I will get to soon, principally because um, the definition or rather the language connoted uh, or related to beneficence is uh, in, a in a positive note, in a uh, positive intent, and it has more along uh, the purpose of um, promoting their welfare rather than it does to, you know, uh, 
for any other reasons and and when we go to non-maleficence we see that while it is similar to beneficence it states that uh, physicians are not to harm patients while they are they would have an overall need to benefit the patient and the way they would do it is to prevent harm here the principal uh, eth ethical principle they have is to you know not harm patients so to not kill patients to not cause pain those are examples and they are also another thing to note is the examples of general moral principles that we follow in society um, Apart from non-maleficence, we have autonomy. Autonomy is quite important. I believe that is, uh, in my opinion, the most important principle to be followed um, and, and the one that causes the most confusion, the most problems and the biggest amount of dilemmas because autonomy at the end of the day is a person's ability to make a decision for themselves. It revolves around the idea that a competent person needs to have the power to make rational and moral choices and goes to preserve and exercise um, self-determination, right? Uh, and as I said, autonomy is often a competing principle. Um, you know, respecting autonomy may not often go in hand, go hand in hand with the other principles because, uh, you know, uh, if you were to take a you know, very simple example, right? Um, a person he has gone and had an accident or maybe has had uh, surgery right surgery and they need to be administered some form of opioid or a drug like morphine uh, intravenously that is through needle uh, to be injected <laughs> yet they're afraid of an injection and here you have you know beneficence versus um, autonomy a person wants to have control over their body uh, and they want to do this by, uh, you know, having the ability to determine that, look, I don't want uh, injections because, you know, I'm afraid of it. But on the contrary, a lack of injection means it would cause great amounts of pain. So there you see it's conflicting. And that's a very basic, simple way, you know, the rational mind would say, look, it's going to pain a bit, but it'll get better eventually. Uh, the, the weight of uh, feeling a lack of pain or rather... Um, to be relieved of your pain is far more important than, uh, you know, having an injection. But at the end of the day, this is the basic of the dilemma that one can face, right? So when we talk about autonomy, we also cannot uh, talk about it without discussing the ideas of informed consent, um, truth-telling and confidentiality. So when we talk about informed consent, we understand principally that to do anything regarding a patient. Um, regarding any procedure that they may undergo, right? Uh, there is an ultimatum and that is the consent of the patient, right? Uh, doctors can't necessarily do anything of, or rather administer any form of treatment to a patient if they are unhappy with such a treatment. Uh, and this is obviously of a patient who we would identify competent or who is able to make autonomous decisions. Right, uh, but this uh, changes a little bit when it comes to people who are not autonomous, and this is often uh, an idea that needs to be considered when it comes to uh, people who have been, you know, uh, you know, faced with the question, or rather, people face the question or pose the question. Apologies uh, regarding their matter. Look, should we consider euthanasia for so sorts of people? People who are not responsible, people who are not conscious. They are people who are non-autonomous. They are unable to make that decision for themselves. And when it comes to them, right, how do we identify whether or not there is 
you know, um, consent to make a certain decision. Often uh, the best form or the best way it is done, uh, I know that it's done in the English or other in um, the UK, how they do it is uh, patients have to find uh, to sign a certain document that uh, states their autonomous decision or the, the rather uh, what they would like to do in the event that they become unresponsive there is such a document that they sign and those sorts of systems do exist but a lot of the times uh, if it doesn't uh, the doctors um, and ethically or other they need to you know go back to the ethical principle of you know understanding the autonomous um, rights that a patient has and should you know try their best to um, do what the patient might have wanted to do right but in the event that a doctor is unaware of it there is often um, a proxy um, a proxy or who they call a surrogate decision maker and a surrogate decision maker again has the option to take two parts and that is to use the substituted judgment standard and that is um, as a proxy obviously they would uh, understand or know what's in the best interest of the patient and to substitute um, judgment of the patient and to to reiterate what they would want to do or uh, the best interest standard right to consider the context and the content and see what makes most sense the most logical sense so in the event that uh, the proxy isn't able to make the decision for them it's often you know said that the best thing they can do is obviously to um, follow with the substitute judgment right and then we have truth telling it's a give it's a given there's nothing further to explain in that and we have confidentiality again confidentiality doesn't really uh, involved when it comes to where a physician has to um, share information with uh, fellow medical colleagues for the benefit of the patient and um, with uh, people and, and information can only be shared with permitted people so those are basic things right and the fourth thing is justice right the fourth principle that they need to consider is justice to to uh, in a fair and just manner dispense uh, their medical treatment and um, you know care for a person and uh, this essentially comes down to a few points right we know that when it comes to uh, a medical sector or medical services that resources are limited in any form you know time is a resource that's certainly limited so to to dispensate this justice would be given the very minimal uh, existence of um, you know resources there are certain ways they can uh, you know be just to, to share their resources equally uh, in terms of need according to the merit and according to the contribution the person has made you know so those are different ways in which we can uh, be just and a doctor has the ethical need or rather the ethical principle they need to follow in this instance would be to balance it and to find and, and understand their uh, complete obligation or the ultimate obligation they have is to be in the best interest of the patient and to you know balance it and see what sort of dispensation of um, treatment makes most sense so those you know are basically the four main principles they need to consider um, and from that point on it means to understand that is that these principles in most instances aren't conflicting because they act in their own regard in their own instance when it needs to be you know um, a love but as mentioned earlier uh, these principles are sometimes conflicting right uh, what a physician needs to do at that point is to determine what his 
um, you know, determined by vain, you know, prima facie obligations and to see, you know, what obligation uh, would be most important and make that decision, right? Um, that is essentially what happens when it comes to principles uh, that needs to be followed by doctors. From here, now that we understand, you know, the mindset of a, a physician, we can revisit or rather get to our main point and that is euthanasia. Right? So euthanasia uh, can be done in three ways. Uh, one of the ways is actually debatable in the sense that certain doctors don't really consider it to be uh, the appropriate term but let me get to it the first is active euthanasia second is passive euthanasia and the third is physician assisted suicide or uh, yeah physician physician assisted um, euthanasia so if we are to consider what is uh, active euthanasia that is killing or rather ending the life of a person by active means for instance um, giving someone a lethal dose um, of uh, certain medicines or whatever for instance you can um, give this is based off of an existing case i'm not coming up with new things my goodness that isn't my intention but from what i read i am aware that uh, once a doctor had administered um, sodium chloride which is salt uh, with the intention of stopping the patient's heart so you know that is active euthanasia the other type is passive euthanasia and that is uh, intentional letting a patient die by either withholding or withdrawing um, their what we call um, support uh, that is also uh, considered to be uh, illegal um, so uh, active and passive euthanasia both in most countries are considered to be illegal right so that is what we need to understand physician assisted suicide is again illegal in many countries because assisted suicide is considered to be illegal right, so let's talk about you know um, active versus passive right so what we need to understand is that uh, when it comes to you know the debate of what is the worst of the two a lot of people often say that look passive um, euthanasia is much worse I mean much less worse and they have a reason the reason revolves around the idea that um, you know being um, involved in omitting is far worse than to be actually involved in the killing of a person so they you know put it in two ways to kill a person or to let someone die and their whole idea is that if one person is to pursue this active euthanasia that is to administer certain medicines or whatever uh, any form that they use in their you know uh, what we call uh, in their arsenal um, they believe that what happens here is that an active decision is made by the doctor to do so and to end the the life of the patient um, they see that on the contrary if it was withdrawing or withholding a, a patient a, a doctor isn't really doing anything there he's letting the normal procedure go but you know that is their moral uh, stance on it but I have a very different stance on it right if one was to be involved with passive euthanasia obviously they are taking that decision to withhold or to withdraw right we understand that doctors you know they take a hypocritical hypocritical they say that even the worst person regardless of if, if Hitler was to come or was to be alive at some point or maybe um, a drug dealer right like um, 
Pablo Escobar. Even if such a person was in dire need of medical attention, a doctor has taken the Hippocratic Oath to protect or rather to provide their medical service to regardless of who comes to them. And, and if a person has done so and has taken such an oath, is it not their duty to act in the best interests of a person regardless of who they are? And if that is the case, isn't withhold, withholding and withdrawing, knowing very well that this would indeed lead to the death of the person, person, right? Wouldn't that, um, you know, inherently be wrong? So you know, that's a moral question that we need to ask, right? Um, another one is, can um, it be better to side with passive euthanasia compared to active euthanasia? And uh, again, this revolves around terminal patients because this is a question that comes predominantly regarding. Uh, their issue and you know what they might face so if we were to revisit and you know look at that we would you know consider a person who is terminally ill maybe some form of cancer or whatever obviously not a doctor it's not my forte um, someone who's terminally ill and we understand that look eventually they're going to pass away in the next few years so if they are not treated even if they're treated they'll pass away eventually in two to three years and if they're not treated well they would die in maybe six months uh, and that would be a very difficult painful six months if someone was to say that um, passive euthanasia would trump and that is to withhold um, treatment withhold giving them medicines if that uh, would be the ultimate ultimatum that would be their say wouldn't it be sort of wrong it is I mean in the sense we understand that if a person's misery was to end immediately at that moment right that would be in their best interest why because their misery has come to an end on the contrary if they were to continue for six months six months of grueling pain you know it's it's a very hard to justify saying that you know passive euthanasia is better um that is what it is and i'm going to go back to what i meant about um passive euthanasia being a word that a lot of uh, doctors or a lot of people would like to make because as i also mentioned earlier euthanasia the, the concept of where it stands legally is quite hard to define uh, active euthanasia is quite easy to define because obviously it shows intent uh, but if we were to consider um, the instance of providing or dispensating um, you know uh, opioids or some sort of drug that we know to make the living standard or the standard of living of a patient better than it is right we are following beneficence right the medical principle of beneficence on the contrary we are also aware that um, you know the providing of such a drug could lead to uh, the death of a person uh, and we are when we face with such a question we ask ourselves okay what is happening here is what is being committed a crime and that's where the whole double jeopardy rule comes in it states that when a, a person is administered a certain form of treatment in the interest in their best interest to relieve them of such a pain and not in the interest to end their life uh, in such an instance you know it's not euthanasia their best interest is to prevent a person from undergoing you know great amount of pain and great amount of suffering so that is uh, a loophole around it 
and you know coming to a conclusion of ethical questions i want to reiterate here and tell you that look i'm not here to teach you anything i am not an expert in this field uh, not a doctor not a lawyer yet three years more hopefully fingers crossed i hope that llb comes in time uh, but you know i am not qualified for this my whole purpose of this podcast and remaining of my solo podcast is to make you think it's to make you question why we do things a certain way and to you know to address a topic like this which obviously isn't touched normally you know because we're busy with uh, traditional political debates and political arguments which hopefully I can get into too um but yeah that is rather the conclusion of this podcast and I want to also note that this is inspired or rather a result of the ongoing Battersby case that is uh, the case of a young child named Archie who as of right now has sadly passed away um his condition was that he um had suffered traumatic brain injury um and the doctors weren't able to you know uh, decide whether or not he was uh, to be considered to be brain dead because a certain test that is to be done as the brain stem test if i'm not wrong uh, they were unable to do it and you know uh, months ago they had declared that you know he might potentially be brain dead a, a, a lack of cognitive um, you know function and what not uh, it's quite sad because uh, there was an ongoing debate about whether or not to pull his life support if it if you were to say that you know euthanasia had a very clear cut definition and if it is to be illegal in its complete sense we are fully aware that what happened in court today wouldn't have happened um, we are aware that there are multiple uh, segments or mul- multiple um, standards to which the court looks at anything in this instance that would be the best interest of archie and uh, while it is sad it's also a great learning moment um, for a lot of us a lot of us are made aware of the situation a lot of us are brought into light about the situation so i'm glad for that reason and that reason alone but uh, it's quite a sad news for anyone to hear and i've been following the news for like last few days and it's quite devastating just reading everything from beginning if you were to read the court documents just the the brevity of you know the last few days of treatment that a person was going under and you ask that question is keeping someone alive in such a forced manner through uh, through such uncomfortable difficult circumstances really worth it are we prolonging life or are we prolonging death that is a question to be answered and signing out you have Atif Anparin once again stay tuned like this on any form of provide like uh, on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you're seeing it do share this like this and if it's on youtube do um post your comments about what you think about it uh, obviously i'm someone who enjoys constructive criticism so i'll take that for a fact and yeah that's about it have a nice day guys and learn more about it read more that's what life is we're an ever learning ever growing uh, population and yeah right see you another time bye bye